We're hunting for a book written by a demon, and you're coming with us. This is the Walk in Darkness podcast. Holy mother of all that's unholy. What a wild few days this has been. I'm Wally Fitch, and I'm glad to have you with me tonight. Tonight's show is going to be a little different from the others. Um, If you missed the Instagram posts on Tuesday night, I had a visitor. And so what I'm going to do is read through the notes that I took right after our conversation. But before we start, mm, ah, never mind. Let's just get into this thing. All right. So I was in my living room unpacking some boxes when a windstorm moved in. Not unusual for Idaho, especially Idaho Falls. It gets freaking windy here. But with it, all the dogs in the neighborhood started howling. You know, at first I ignored it. Didn't think it was a big deal. But then the wind got stronger. The howls got louder. So I went outside to see what the hell was going on. As I stepped out onto the porch, this big gust of wind that really lasted longer than any gust of wind should started blowing the leaves all over the place. And it really made it difficult to see anything outside. But through the blowing leaves and dust, something across the street kind of caught my eye. And in the shadows behind this big, big tree stood a figure. And I was about to call out to whoever it was when a car started coming down the street. And as that car got closer, the headlights slowly exposed whoever it was behind the tree. It was Father Guno. I looked at him. He looked at me. Our eyes locked. And simultaneously, all the dogs, all the barking, all the howls went quiet. He stared at me. I stared at him. And then I heard my phone buzz from inside the house. And at the same time, this big gust of wind blew my hair in front of my face. And uh, by the time I brushed it out of the way, Gounod was gone. So I went inside locked the door behind me, and checked my voicemail. The priest is here for you. Talk to him. Hear him out. Your life depends on it. We don't often hear him speak English, but yes, that was Snore, the Viking. And uh, as I hung up the phone after listening to his voicemail, I could hear the clinking of glasses coming from inside the kitchen. Kind of unnerving. I slowly approached the kitchen, listening. And as I came around the corner, I saw the priest pouring my expensive whiskey into two glasses. And without even looking at me, he nodded to the seat across from him and said, Sit, we have much to speak about. After we were sitting down, with a sigh, he said, Wally Fitch, you have disappointed us. We have tried to stay within the rules of free will. However, 
you have not heeded our warnings and have forced this visit. I looked down at the whiskey and I I really wanted to take a drink, but my hands were shaking too much. As you know, Guno continued, there's a sinister force that's working against us. And you may think the apostles of the demonic are helping you find the truth, but they are really helping themselves bring upon their evil. Somehow I calmed my nerves enough to drink my whiskey, which (laughs) I did all in one gulp and uh, letting that burn of the alcohol just zap my senses. And then uh, Guno poured another round as he continued. Our mission started out as watchers. However, your actions have escalated things. Apparently, our messages weren't enough to convince you, so now we must become more involved. And then I asked him, who's we? He just stared at me with his dark, inhuman pupils, just not saying anything. And after what felt like an hour, he brought the glass of whiskey to his lips took a sip and then said, myself, Snorhelig, and then after a pause, Michael. Now, reading his face and and with that pause, I could tell that he wasn't sure that he had the permission to reveal that. But nonetheless, I asked who Michael was. Michael the Archangel. Now, before I could react to that, he began to tell me how an angel recruited him from purgatory to join this secret force with the sole mission of stopping the demonic testament from going public. Yeah, I nearly dropped my glass off of that. I mean, this, what he just said, was the first real confirmation that this book exists and its name. So I wanted to make sure that I heard right. So I asked him, I said, so the book exists. And his answer was just a simple yes. I could not believe what I was hearing. So I guess the excitement was starting to show on my face because He just sat across the table and looked at me with those sharp, dark eyes. And I could tell he was, he wasn't amused with my eagerness and excitement to learn more about this book, but I'm an investigator and I had to ask. So I asked him, what's this book about? I can't tell you that he said, but it's imperative that it never see the light of day. Well, I pushed him for an answer as to why, you know, it's so important that this book never be revealed, but he would only say that, and I quote, things wouldn't end well if it was made public. All right. Well, I sat and thought about that for a minute. And then I said, you know, two guys from purgatory led by an angel 
isn't really that big of a team to thwart something this big, is it? And he just looked at me from across the table. And he smiled and he assured me that their team isn't the only defense God has put in motion to stop Sarath. And then he looked at me and I could tell that he could sense my skepticism on what he was saying. So then he said, and I'm quoting here, we, God, Michael, Snore, and myself, we all know your thoughts on our existence. And that's why you were chosen by Sarath. I also know you want more, but more I cannot give. I must remain vague to protect you and our mission, because the more you know, the more Sarath knows, and he'll use that to get what he wants. And I asked him, what is it that he wants? He wants the book to be released. He wants to upset the balance. I asked him what he meant by upsetting the balance. And the only thing he would say is, good and evil doesn't work the way humans think it does. And I couldn't get any more out of him about that subject. But then he asked me if I trusted him. And I just shook my head no, because I didn't. It's hard to trust anything that I'm hearing at this point. But something changed. And it's hard to explain, but... You know, if you remember when I told you guys about my first interaction with him, when I met with him at the Vatican, I told you guys that he seemed odd and that he gave off this weird, strange vibe. And even tonight, this whole time, he gave off that same vibe. But now, right at this second, that was gone and he seemed human. I was a commoner who lived in Marseille during the Black Plague, he said. And after a pause, he went on to say that he led a pure life. He always followed the rules, yet no matter what he did, he always ended up living in poverty. He went on to say, food was scarce and many died from starvation before the plague came to our region. And once it did, the weak and the poor were the first to become sick. The smell of rotting bodies consumed the air, making it difficult to breathe. Fear of the disease made people do things they wouldn't normally do, and nobody trusted anybody. And many believed sin was responsible for this evil plague of death. It was common to believe those who got sick were being punished by God for their sins. As he told me this, I couldn't help but get a mental picture of what life was like back then. I mean, we've seen pictures and all that sort of thing, but to have somebody that claims to have lived that, it just it paints a very vivid picture in your mind. And after that, he, he told me how he ended up in purgatory. He said, I saw people pray, but that wouldn't prevent the disease from consuming them. It was everywhere. I saw this as an opportunity to save myself, 
money could get me to a safer place. So I told people, if they joined me and gave me gold as an offering to God, those who had the disease would be cured and those not yet afflicted would be immune. Well, unfortunately, his plan didn't work because he caught the plague and died in 1349. And I asked him, I said, hey, if you did something so awful, why didn't you go straight to hell? And <laughs> I, I, I still can't shake what, what he said. He said, when you die, there's no light, only darkness. During that darkness, you are judged, not by God or an angel at the pearly gates, but by a panel of purgatorians who can never leave. They weigh both the good and the evil that you've done throughout your life, and then a sentence is passed. That sentence could be eternity in heaven or hell, or for people such as myself, we must stay in purgatory and earn our rightful place, which we choose. Choose. That part got me. So I asked him, I said, choose? Yes, he said. Heaven and hell aren't exactly what you think it is. Hell isn't a bunch of fire and torment, and heaven isn't a life in paradise either. Or at least that's what I've heard. I have yet to earn my way to either place. Well, I sat for a minute processing what I just heard. I mean, that kind of goes against even society's acceptance of what life after death might be. So I'm in the zone processing all this and Guno's voice brought me back to the world and he was now standing and he looked at me and he just said, next time I'll buy the whiskey. And then he left. I got up to walk him out, but by the time I kind of came around into the living room from the kitchen, Guno was gone. Well, as you can imagine, the generous pours of whiskey started to take their effect and, uh, my mind was spinning and I, you know, I wasn't quite sure how to take everything I just heard. I mean, on one hand, everything he told me seemed sincere and dire, but on the other, it goes against everything that I believe. Hell, I know if someone came to me and told me, hey, I shared a bottle of whiskey with the guy from Purgatory at my kitchen table, and he shared some insider information from heaven, I'd have them committed. But <laughs> here I am telling you, hell, telling the world. I mean, how the hell do I prove or disprove for that matter, any of this happened. Shit. I mean, I would have thought I dreamt this whole thing if it wasn't for... If it wasn't for... All right, well, needless to say, I didn't sleep that night. 
I mean, everything Guno told me just kind of swirled around inside my head like a tornado. Even with that, though, the night kind of went by quick. And I sat and looked out the window and kind of watched the sun peek through the trees. And I went onto the porch to get some fresh air. And then I noticed the tree where Gano stood. Now, I'm no arborist, but that tree did not look healthy. But yet, what life it had left in it pulled me towards it. Before I knew it, I was across the street. I circled the tree. I looked north, seeing my house, seeing what Gounod saw that night. And as my eyes focused back on the trunk where the bark had fallen off, three numbers were freshly carved into the wood. Three, three, three. Now, 333 is considered a spiritual number pattern, and depending on who you talk to, it has a different meaning. But the one belief is that 333 means that you have an important decision to make. It is now Wednesday night as I record this, or I don't know, I guess it's early Thursday. The clock reads 2.51 a.m. And I still feel sick to my stomach. And that's not from the whiskey. Wally Fitch out. Hey, it's me, Sutton. If you like the Walk in Darkness podcast, please support our investigation by going to awalkindarkness.com. Expenses add up and every little bit helps us follow leads in the investigation. And don't forget, in between episodes, the story continues on Instagram. Follow A Walk in Darkness for the big picture. Thank you for listening and for your support.